Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Christopher Drobot. Christopher is a passionate cheerleader for the potential of the Edmonton region. Although not directly an entrepreneur himself, his extensive experience in business operations and now mortgage lending help focus his excitement on the ideas that can see the city grow. He is involved in the push to bring a world-class aquarium to the city and is completing his MBA and, together with his wife, homeschools his two children. The parallels between entrepreneurialism and homeschooling have been many and he sees an overarching lesson in both. You have to create the world you wish to see. In this episode, Christopher Drobot hosts Mac Mail. Take it away, Christopher. All right, and welcome back to Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas. I am your host, Christopher Drobot, and today we have in studio Mac Mail. Mac is a dedicated community builder who has given back to Edmonton through thousands of hours of board committee and other volunteer work for more than a dozen different different organizations. He is also the uh, one of the founders of Taproot Media and has received numerous awards and distinctions over the years, including being named a top 40 under 40 by Avenue Magazine and one of Alberta's next 10 most influential people by Alberta Venture Magazine. Let's hear more about Mac Mail. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Hey. Uh, so we have you on the show today here uh, and just to tell a little bit about kind of what you've been doing in the startup world. I mean, you've been involved for a number of years in, in this space uh, and most recently I, you've been a graduate actually of, uh, of a program for a startup as well. So I think there's a lot of stuff for us to go into. Why don't you start a bit with your background sure. and then uh, kind of go from there. My background is all in tech. I've been interested in computer programming and software since I was a little kid, basically. Uh, so I was one of those fortunate kids going through high school that kind of knew what I wanted to do, or at least I thought I did. I uh, wanted to be a software developer. Um, and I did work in software for, for more than a decade, uh, though I'm doing a little less coding these days with, uh, with my new venture. But you, you alluded, it to, alluded to it. I started my first company when I was in high school, actually, here in Edmonton. It's a software company we started in 1999, so kind of right at the height of the dot-com bubble. Uh, we made uh, internet utility software, so our flagship program uh, was called SpeedNet. It, you installed it on your computer and it tweaked some settings and made your internet go faster, which was a really big deal in 1999. Um, and it was a really great learning experience and we didn't survive the bubble, obviously. Um, but I learned a lot through that experience. And, and then in university, I started another company with a different business partner. Um, focused around podcasting. I'm long podcasting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, was a, I was about 10 or 15 years too early with that business. Um, and we, uh, at some, we can talk more about it if you like. At some point we reached a, an inflection point and decided that we needed to go in a different direction and try to make some money to p- pay off some debts. <laughs> um, and so I worked for a, a big software company called Question Mark Computing for over a decade. And uh, it was while I was there that I started uh, Taproot as a side project. And that's now my full-time, full-time gig. So sorry, how long ago was that? That we started Taproot? Yeah. That was in 2016. Yeah, okay. So you've been at it for quite a while so far. And uh, only, only seems to have really kind of blown up in the last, like, what, year or two? 
I think that's fair. And it's because we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, and it's also, I think, a, an illustration of the kind of impact you can have on a startup when you're focused on it full time. Yeah. And so for the first little while, it was very much a side project for my co-founder, Karen Unland and I. Um, but after I started to work on it full time, uh, when my previous job came to an end, you know, you're just able to devote so much more time and attention to it and you can go so much more quickly than you can when it's kind of off the side of your desk. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Uh, now you mentioned being long on podcasting. Uh, you actually have gotten back to the podcasting. You've kind of come full circle, uh, not, not just on this episode, but just on your own. Yeah. Uh, tell us a bit about that as well. I co-host a weekly municipal politics podcast called Speaking Municipally with Troy Pavlik. Um, so it's published by Taproot Edmonton. It's a, it's a great way for us to bring some analysis and stuff into um, the, the municipal coverage that we do every week. And we started it in 2018. Troy kind of came to me with the idea and said, we should do a podcast. I want to do a podcast about politics. And he had you know, just as he will often remind listeners on our show, he had just lost in the municipal election and <laughs> was eager to do something around city I've, council. I've heard that once or twice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, I think this could be fun. Let's give it a shot. And we're 75 episodes in now. Yeah. And actually I was just listening to that this morning. So well done to, to you both. I mean, you've, I think you've managed to uh, stay, stay delightfully on brand as well throughout it. Uh, you've got kind of a, Thank you. a, a great sort of humor. I love that the title of every episode has a pun in it. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. And not just any pun. Yeah. Uh, like it's a produce pun. It like is. It is. It's, it's usually produce vegetables. It's sometimes just a food pun. So taproot, you know, when we started the company, we were like, what are we going to call this thing? And our first choice was taken and our second choice was taken. And then our third choice was taken. And so we finally eventually got to taproot and we really like this idea of, you know, the taproot is the most nutritious part of the plant and, you know, you can tap into things. That sounds good for journalism. And so when we started the podcast, we were like, this would be kind of fun. Let's try to stick with that, uh, that metaphor, that brand. And, you know, I didn't think we'd make it to 75 episodes without having to repeat puns, but here we are. <laughs> Troy is amazing at coming up with those things each week. And what's like the longevity of most podcasts then? Like I, I've heard something that it's quite short. Do you? Well, I think they're similar to, to blogs, right? So the stat that people usually talk about is, you know, three months and then they're gone. You know, people have this flurry of activity. They have a really great idea. They have lots of energy and passion about it. They do it, they go all in and then, you know, time becomes a reality. It takes time to do these things and maybe their initial ideas they've talked about. And so now they're not sure what to do. Um, you know, so it's usually a short amount of time. So I think it's pretty good that we're coming up to our second anniversary here yeah. this summer. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things I've learned over the years in all of the work that I do is that cadence and frequency is really important. And the fact that it's a weekly show and we do it every week, kind of rain or shine is, uh, is an important thing. It helps build habit. It helps build expectation from your audience. It, it helps you grow an audience, I think more, um, steadily over time. So we're happy that it's proven to be true once again, that if you do something on a regular basis, it'll pay off. Yeah. For a municipal podcast, you're actually there more frequently than council is. So <laughs> that's true. This, this week we talked about them and they weren't even there. So yeah, <laughs> that's not meant to be a shot for the <laughs> that are listening. Um, so you kind of talked a little bit about what you're doing now. Cause I, uh, I think that actually you had just graduated from something recently, ATBX and, uh, we've actually got somebody else in the room. He's, uh, 
one of the co-hosts here on the show today, uh, Riaz Care with Ventrify. So hi, Riaz. Hey. Uh, so uh, yeah, tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So ATBX uh, happened in the fall, and we were part of the first um, Edmonton cohort along with Riaz, and it was a good opportunity for us to focus um, on the business rather than in the business. And for Taproot, to answer your your earlier question, like we when we started, we were a membership based. Uh, startup and we, we knew that advertising wasn't going to be the future of, of media of journalism and we didn't want to go in that direction so we launched a membership based program our members could ask questions and then we would um, commission writers to go and answer those questions essentially and it worked really well and we did some really great long form journalism and we continue to do that as an element of what we do um, but we kind of learned over the over the, the couple of years that we were doing that that you know people have great questions at the beginning and then they need a little bit of context or prodding or new information to see new patterns and ask new questions. And also we wanted to deliver more value to our readers, to our members on a regular basis. And so we started doing um, these email newsletters, which is, uh, you know, what Taproot has become known for these, um, we call them roundups on local topics. And we also, along the way, I realized that there was a business opportunity to pr produce, you know, the equivalent of a roundup, we call it a briefing, uh, for an organization to get internally or for their stakeholders to keep them informed about things that are important to them. So that's what we went to A to BX to try to iterate on and to try to uh, learn more about. You know, we, we know there's lots of things we don't know, and we thought A to BX would be a great opportunity to get some exposure to some of the ways we should be thinking about the business, some of the considerations we should have as we try to basically build a new product and, and scale it. So why journalism though? Like why of all of all the things that you could have gotten into, like quite frankly, if somebody said, hey, I'm going to go start a journalism startup uh, back in 2016, that would have probably seemed like a terrible idea. Yeah. So like why, why that sector? Why, why this? Still a terrible idea. The industry is, <laughs> the industry is really hurting. Um, I have, as I mentioned, been in tech for a long time. And when I was in university, um, you know, things like Facebook, was brand new and I got kind of involved in Facebook. And then my startup at the time, my podcasting startup had a competitor a company called Odeo. They were also making podcasting services. They launched a little side project one day called Twitter. And so I started paying attention to Twitter and by, you know, that happenstance, I was one of the first thousand people in the world on Twitter. Uh, and so social media really was a thing that I was into blog engines. People were building at the time I tinkered with that. And so I started writing my own blog. I started using these social media tools that were there. And that's how I personally got into journalism was, you know, this, we talk about it now, like this democratization of storytelling that is available to all of us because of these platforms. And I guess I kind of took advantage of those, um, as a, at a pretty formative time for myself. And so I started to get really into it. And around 2008, 2009, my, my blog, mastermac.ca really became about Edmonton. You know, I'd blog about anything before that, but really sort of focused in on Edmonton, really around the city center airport debate. That was kind of the thing that allowed my blog to take off, uh, in the city. And I met Karen along the way. We had gone to change camp together. We later organized media camp together, these unconferences to try to get mainstream media folks and digital folks in the room together. And we kind of had a, you know, regular standing coffee meeting and we just talk about what was going on in journalism. We, we both care quite a bit about what happens to it. We could see what was happening, the negative erosion of what was uh, going on here in Edmonton. And we wanted to do something about it. So it took a little bit, you know, we didn't get to that point right away. And it was early 2016 that Post Media merged its newsrooms across the country. And so the Sun and the Journal here in Edmonton merged and 35 people were laid off that day in Edmonton alone, uh, over 90 across the country. And we thought, well, it's only going to get worse. 
let's try to do something. Let's not just talk about it. And so that's why we launched Taproot. So far, as you've mentioned, you've kind of iterated into a few different things. What, um, like, as far as the, the driving force for you, like, what would you say drives you as an entrepreneur though? Well, I think I want to build a really successful business first and foremost, right? Like I want to, I want to build something that has an impact. Um, and we've talked a bit that, about that all, all, all along, Karen and I, like we often say that if we think, we think if we can do this here, we can have a positive impact on journalism everywhere. And so it's really important to us to build a business that is financially successful because we see all of the well-intentioned people starting media businesses around the world that don't have any concept of how they're going to make any money at it. And we know those things aren't going to last and we want to build something that's going to last. So, you know, that's a real driving force behind what we do and behind Taproot. Um, the other thing is, as you said, I've been involved in the startup community in Edmonton for a really long time. And uh, I think it has incredible potential and it has had some successes, but I think there's many more in the future. And if I can play even a small role in helping to facilitate some of that, then, you know, that's something else I'm pretty interested in. Tell us about that startup community a little like, and maybe your involvement in it. Well, I, I started the company back in, uh, in, in high school, like I mentioned, and there wasn't really anything at the time that we have today. Um, you know, my second startup in 2004, 2005, the podcasting one, we got to participate in venture prize, um, the business plan competition that tech Edmonton used to organize. We finished second to, um, pro training which became Yardstick, which is now We Know Training. So it was a pretty good year, I guess. They were, they've were they obviously gone on to be a very successful local business and a great, great success story for Edmonton's tech community. Um, but there wasn't a lot at that time either. There was a few programs, you know, Alberta Deal Generator, Venture Prize, things like that. And it was a few years later that uh, Cam Linky started Demo Camp, and I was uh, I went to the first one and then got involved and started to help uh, try to grow that community a little bit in, in the ways that I could. You know, over the years, I've been on the selection panel for demos. I've written about most of the demo camps on, on my blog. Um, and in helping, you know, get that off the ground, you know, was right there at the beginning of Startup Edmonton and was a founding board member of, of Startup Edmonton. So I've kind of, you know, been involved in lots of different aspects, not like heavily, like, you know, Ken and Cam did all the heavy lifting, but, you know, I've been a champion of theirs and of the other people who are trying to do great things in the community. And now, of course, I look around and there's so many more opportunities for entrepreneurs than there were even just five or 10 years ago. And that's really exciting. I think we've seen this really incredible explosion of supports for entrepreneurs. There's less and less of a reason to be had for not taking your idea and trying to do something about it. And not just that, but actually doing something about it here in Edmonton. Yeah, yeah great, great point. Yeah, I mean, I guess there was supports elsewhere and people could leave, but now you can do it right here. Uh, so you have had some involvement as well with, uh, with Rainforest and you know, you've come out to present, you've been, you know, coming to some of the meetings, connectors. Tell us about your thoughts on Rainforest as a group and kind of its role within the ecosystem. I think it's another example of the supports that are available, right? It's another community of people. One of the things that's interesting to me about Rainforest is that when I go there, you know, I know a lot of people in the community. There's a few familiar faces, but there's often a lot of people that I don't know. And I think that's a really positive thing. The more opportunity we have to widen the circle, you know, to uh, to gather more people under the umbrella, uh, the better, I think. And lots of these organizations do that because they tap into different networks, uh, uh, different communities of, of people. And Rainforest is a good example of that. Um, I don't get the name. I still don't get the name. I know there's a book and I get the concept and all of that. But, you know, we live in we live in Alberta. Like there's no rainforest here. It's a bit confusing to me. Um, but if you want to understand it, you can go read the 
you know, the backstory and everything like that. I like what, you know, Rainforest has tried to do though around bringing also some, um, ethics, I suppose, into the, uh, into the community. I think that's an important thing. Um, so yeah, it's, to me, it's another way to broaden the circle. Perfect. And, and I, I would say that that broadening is probably more important now, maybe than ever, uh, just when you see some of the stuff that's going on externally to, to Edmonton and what's happening in the world. I mean, it's March 10th today, uh, just to, just to give away the date. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the markets are going crazy, but, uh, you know, the more that we can look internally within Edmonton and say, Hey, how can we fix our problems here without needing to worry about the rest? of the world, uh, I think that's that's going to be a positive thing. And the other thing I think that is important about some of these new things like Rainforest is that they maybe aren't, maybe the way I described it isn't actually correct. It's not attracting new people. It's becoming more welcoming to people that maybe are already there. You know, there are already people thinking about tech and innovation and things like that in Edmonton, and maybe they just didn't feel welcome in the previous startup community. And so things like the social contract and, you know, some of the other work that happens around networking is an important way to, you know, open those doors and, and be more welcoming as a community. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so you've been an entrepreneur for quite a while, and I'm sure that you have had some experiences that have gone well, but also some maybe that haven't gone so well. Tell us a bit about either one of those. We're going to get to both. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, well, actually I can give you a, a one of each kind of related to the same topic. So in the, the podcasting startup that we did, um, we built a hosting service called Podcast Spot. Uh, inspired by the Blogspot name for for blogs, um, and one of the things we did was we would host all of your audio files. And at the time, you know, not everybody had a smartphone. It wasn't very easy necessarily to get that content onto your device, and so we would convert these files behind the scenes into the appropriate format. So it would work on a Zune, it would work on an iPod, it would work on the Xbox, whatever. And so that took up a lot of storage space. And um, this was two thousand. 2005 that we started building this. So we didn't have cloud computing and we built our own servers. We spent an incredible amount of time investigating data centers here in Edmonton and building our own servers and putting that all together, figuring out how to make it redundant. Um, but along the way, of course, we lost a hard drive, really important hard drive, whole bunch of data, just gone, you know, send it away to the, to the company, try to get them to recover it you know, a few thousand dollars later, which is a big amount of money when you're brand new and you're just starting something, you know, we got most of that data back, but it was a really important lesson in, uh, in preparedness, I suppose, and, and having some redundancies. So that was a really hard one because we're like, this is our customer data. Like, what do we do if we've lost this? Like, well, how are we going to go and explain to them that we've lost their data? Um, so that was a bit of a sleepless weekend for sure. Um, but then on the flip side, as I mentioned, the cloud computing bit, one day we were working on the business plan. Uh, you know, we'd been building software for a while, but we were also working on uh, on the business plan. And Amazon launched S3, their simple storage service, the first kind of cloud computing service that most people know about. And it just overnight changed our financials. Like we no longer had to buy servers and hard drives and account for failures and account for growth and all of that. We could now magically pay a small amount of money to Amazon every month put the files up there and know that they weren't going to get lost. Uh, and that was just a, like it totally changed the financials of that business for us. So that was one of those like really elated moments, <laughs> you know, people often talk about like when you win a customer and there's definitely highs when that's kind of thing happens. But you know, when we kind of had that problem solved by somebody else, that was amazing. Yeah. And of course now you start a business and why would you build anything that 
doesn't use cloud computing in some way, right? Somebody's already taken care of all of that infrastructure bit for you. Well, it's the, it's the commodity. It'd be like trying to build your own railroad today. Like, right. right. Like, why would you do that? And very fun fact, our first data center that we used was called Terabyte. It was actually in the basement of the CN Tower. And you could still see the like train station, you know, signage and things like that. So just to connect to building your own railroad. <laughs> Yeah, that is wild. That is wild. Uh, so, what about uh, just your your own experiences within the Edmonton area? Maybe more broadly, not specifically with your companies, but within the tech space. Uh, how would you say that uh, that like a new entrepreneur starting up today? How would you say that they could find the most amount of success? I think the most important thing is to start building your network and making connections and going to things. You know the the. Those of us in the community that are either service providers or deep thinkers about what we should do and how we should organize the community always talk about having, you know, a navigator or a central point that everybody can go. And I don't think that's really the way to do it, actually. I think this decentralized distributed model is much, much better. So find the connection, find the individual or the organization that speaks to you that you think you... Um, you, you have a connection to in some way and start building your network from there. I think lots of people, if you talk to them that have had success in the community here in Edmonton, will tell you that it's come from continually meeting new people, continually being open to those opportunities, you know, continually learning new things along the way. And that's certainly been my experience. And I think that's the most important thing you can do is start to build that network. Yeah. I, I mean, I would echo that. Not even being, um, you know, a, a tech entrepreneur myself, I encounter the same situation. It's just like you, you need to be open to that uh, potential connection. You need to be open to chatting with somebody that maybe you're not in a direct, you know, a directly correlated industry with. You need to be able to just say, yeah, let's go have coffee and let's right. see where it goes. Right. And not everybody is an extrovert and doesn't feel comfortable doing that. But now we've got things like Slack and Twitter, you know, join these startup communities that are really vibrant here in Edmonton and start talking to people that way. And then when you make a connection feel a bit more comfortable, maybe then you can go face to face. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, listen to a podcast. Listen to a podcast, that's true. That, you know, I, I would say that, that, that there seems to also be a very um, broad sort of network out there of Edmonton Community Podcast as well that seem to be, like you know, Karen uh, with the Alberta Podcast Network has a number of great examples of podcasts that some of our listeners today would be you know, well advised to go check out as well. So, yeah. um, so something that, uh, we try to make sure that we, uh, deliver, uh, with, with our episodes is, is a form of inspiration for not only new entrepreneurs, but people that have been in the trenches, let's call it for a number of years as well. What would you say inspires you the most about the Edmonton or Alberta tech scene? And, you know, how, how would you, want to try to leave somebody after listening to this episode with the most inspiration. Hmm. I mean, I look to the other folks in the community that are doing incredible things for inspiration. Like I think about companies like Jobber all the time and what Sam and Forrest have built in such a short period of time. You know, I remember just hanging out with them at demo camp and, you know, they hired probably their first 50 employees through, through demo camp and going to that and just the success that they've been able to have and uh, the impact that I think they're going to have uh, on Edmonton is really inspiring to me. So I think we need examples in the community. We need other people, other entrepreneurs who have um, built something meaningful, maybe had some financial success and 
uh, have continued to uh, share that with other people. Um, lots of people look at Bioware, for instance, as, uh, as an example of that. But to me, it's those companies like Jobber that kind of give me some inspiration to say, I want to do that too. I want to build a really meaningful local company that employs a bunch of people here in Edmonton that has an impact on our, on our city and, you know, has the potential to grow and have an impact beyond. Um, that's super inspiring to me. Um, and I guess what I would want to leave people with based on my own experience is that you don't need to be um, a 22-year-old, you know, white man living on ramen to build a company, right? You don't? No, you oh. don't. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's the sort of culture that we see based on Silicon Valley and other places, but there's lots of examples of, uh, of great companies who are started by people who don't fit that demographic. Um, and you can do it while you're working a full-time job, you know, the important thing is to get started and, and to take those first initial steps and see where it can go. And, uh, I think, you know, we can look to lots of different uh, examples like that for, in, for inspiration as well, that it doesn't have to be the person that we see in pop culture that is a startup founder. There's lots of people that can be startup founders and entrepreneurs. No, I, and I would say that that is probably one of the most important things is just to get started. You've got an idea, great. So get started, start asking people about how you take that to the next level. Absolutely. We tried to, uh, we tried to follow that ethos with Taproot from the beginning, actually. So, you know, I just criticized the Silicon Valley startup culture a little bit, but there's a lot of good things that have come out of that too. And uh, this idea of MVP and, and all of these things, most minimum, most viable, minimum viable product, sorry. Um, you know, these ideas are really important. Agile development, and so when we launched Taproot, literally all we did was put up a page that said, we're going to do this thing. Would you give us money? <laughs> and we had a small number of people that gave us money, you know, friends and stuff. And that was a little bit of validation. We didn't have to build a whole application before we did that. You know, we had money basically day one, a small amount, but a little bit of money from day one. And so we've kind of continued to do that. You know, if we can do something manual or as they say, concierge it uh, until it needs to be built, then that's an effective way to do it. Prove that you've actually got something that a customer wants and is willing to pay for before you spend the time and resources to go and build it. So if you approach it in that way, then yeah, you get started. You start with the minimum amount of work possible and get some feedback, get some insight, learn about it, and then iterate from there. Which is a great approach, I think, probably for anything that a person wants to do in life. But it, it just, it seems like, oh, this whole idea of startups, it, for somebody who hasn't been in that sector at all, hasn't been part of the community, it seems like a really big thing. Right. And obviously, you know, people have success flying under the radar, building a, a huge application or whatever for two years and then launching. But I think more people have success just iterating, starting small, snowballs, you learn new things, you add, you add based on what you're finding in the market, you're discovering who your customer is. Um, yeah, I think it's a much more approachable way to think about a startup than, you know, you have to have this big amount of capital and you have to be super secretive and build your thing and then have a big flashy launch. Like that is not the way most people are going to do it. I would say too, that a lot of people, they actually want to see that story in action. They want to see, you know, I think that's where we are today. Culturally, you look at social media as a whole and you watch people as they, they iterate their, their life story. Right. And people want to be a part of that all the way along. So that model that you mentioned about the secretive person working, you know, in their garage after hours for two years, that doesn't allow for people to take part in that. That doesn't allow for friends and family to say, hey, I knew them when right. they, they were crappy on day one when they first launched, but they did it and they started. 
Right. And I know you've probably talked about this on the show, but ideas are kind of meaningless, right? Like you've got to actually do something about the idea for it to have value. You know, people will come at you with an NDA and say, I have this idea. I want to tell you about it. Will you sign this NDA? It's like, no, like ideas don't mean anything. Execution, taking that first step, doing something about it is, is really where the rubber hits the road. So, um, yeah, I agree. Right on. So to, uh, sum that up then, if you are thinking about doing something, just start. Get started. It's the same advice, incidentally, we give to podcasters. <laughs> Just get started. Everybody's got an idea for a podcast or a blog or whatever, but if you don't actually record that first episode or put those first words down, then it won't happen. And actually, we, uh, leaders, innovators, and big ideas, uh, yeah, it's, and I mean, there, there's a, a number of us as hosts, and I think that kind of uh, dispersed model also works for us Congratulations. Uh, in, in approaching that. Uh, but, you know, Al, just got started and that's the same same thing that's happened today so it's often been said that humans are wired for story there's no lack of desire for storytelling so podcasts like this are a great way for people to to connect to that especially with people that are you know closer to them closer to home a little bit more local i think those are the most impactful stories for sure i would say so and and thank you for sharing yours today mac Thank you. Yeah, this has been a great episode. Uh, any last words you'd like to share with the world out there? Well, I would say if you haven't already, check out Taproot Edmonton at uh, taprootedmonton.ca. You can sign up for any of our weekly roundups. The tech roundup is probably of particular interest to listeners of this podcast. comes out every Tuesday morning. It's the one thing you need to read to know what happened in Edmonton's innovation community. Well, thanks again, Mac. And uh, listeners, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy your day. If you haven't already... Visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage. Inspire. Educate. Together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>